two-year absence, the Boston Celtics are NBA champions once again. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Seven seconds. They got Benetarian in range. I'll tell you what Tom Brady just did. Gives me goosebumps. Welcome, Boston Sports Extra fans, to another edition of the Boston Sports Extra podcast. And we have with us today a special guest, Mark Schofield. And my name is Andy. And go ahead and explain who you are, Mark, so that our listeners can understand. <laughs> Thanks so much, Andy, for having me on. Uh, my name is Mark Schofield. I'm the host of the Locked On Patriots podcast. I also write for a number of websites, including Inside the Pylon, Pro Football Weekly, The Score, NFL, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio, uh, Big Blue View, part of the SB Nation family of websites. Those are the most of the places you can find me. There are some others here and there, but the main thing is I'm here in my capacity as a host of the Locked On Patriots podcast. Excellent, excellent. And uh, so there's a big game coming up. We've got, hopefully, they can right the ship and uh, pull out a win when they go to Detroit this weekend. And uh, normally we do a review through the week, but we missed that this week. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to do a review to the preview. So we're going to try to take some things that we looked at that we wanted to touch on from the review of the game with Jacksonville. And then we want to try to preview it into seeing if they can fix those things or make them better and pull out a win against Detroit lions. How does that sound to you? That sounds like a fantastic plan to me. <laughs> All right, great. And then, so if we got on offense, we have uh third down conversions. Patriots were very lacking in third down conversions in Jacksonville. And uh, what, do you think that came down to preparation, execution, game plan, and what can they do better to possibly uh, make that different in Detroit? Yeah, I mean it's it's a good point, Andy, because they were four fourteen on fourth down on third downs against Jacksonville, and you know when you look at those, I when you look at those third down plays, I don't think there's anything from a design or a schematic um, or a game plan point of view that really is the problem. I think the main thing is it's an execution thing, and it starts with not having to play Jacksonville. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this is an incredibly talented defense with athletes at all three levels on the defensive side of the ball from their front to their linebackers and Miles Jack to their secondary with guys like A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey. I mean, these are talented players. They got pressure on Brady. They forced him to make some quick throws. I mean, you look at that third down on their opening drive when he – was forced to float one out in the general direction of Chris Hogan, which was more of a throwaway than anything else, and they had to punt. I mean, that, that's how that game started, and it was indicative and emblematic of their entire day on third down. And so not having to play those guys is going to be a big part of it. And, you know, we'll see how much they get Josh Gordon onto the field. He might play some of a limited role in a limited package, and third downs might be a good time for him to, even if he's just running vertical routes, to clear up some space for guys like Dorsett and Hogan and, you know, Gronkowski underneath. And so I think it's a combination of execution and just not having to play Jacksonville. Excellent point. And, uh, and Detroit seems to be having their own problems, so it will – be helpful for both these teams to meet each other and hopefully the Patriots come out on top with that. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Detroit's had some struggles. Um, you look at, you know, their first two weeks. Obviously, they lose their home opener that Monday night against uh, the New York Jets, even though they get a pick six on basically the first play of the game. Um, they got fell behind really badly uh, to San Francisco last week out in San Francisco. Well, they did make a comeback in that game. It had a shot to win it near the end. Um, they had an interception was called off the board because of a defensive hold and penalty away from the ball. Um, but they've gotten off to some slow starts. I think this is the kind of game where if New England gets on top early, you know, 14 nothing, some point in the first quarter, you might see this be a game that New England could potentially run away with. Um but this is an offense, Detroit's, that can put up a lot of points in a hurry. This is a quarterback in Matthew Stafford that can make some incredible throws to all levels of the field. And so there's going to have to be a mindset of getting off the field on third down. You can't, you know, Jacksonville, we just start, we're talking about Jacksonville, you know, getting off the field on third down, holding New England to 4-14. Jacksonville was 10 of 14 on third downs last week. And so, you know, the New England defense is going to have to get off the field on third downs. They're going to have to keep Matthew Stafford from the sidelines. And if they do that, they should come out of Detroit with a win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they showed uh, Jacksonville did some doubling of Gronk with Tayshawn Gibson. And that w- seems to always be one of his uh, – weak points in the game plan. They really shut him down. Is that something that you see Detroit matching up personnel wise with? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's something the teams try to do against Gronkowski for the most part. I mean, they'll sprinkle in some doubling. Um, Jacksonville did a little bit more of it, you know, and if you look at this as a defense right now, Ziggy Ansah is expected to be out. Darius Slay, their best corner is expected to be out. So you're going to see, you know, uh, Nevin Lawson and Jamal Agnew, perhaps on the corners, maybe Jalen Tabor, um, who was drafted in the second round last year. Um, but it's a it's limited defense to begin with, and they're going to be a little bit undermanned with guys like that out. Um, so that's one thing to definitely look at. And then, you know, schematically, I mean, this is a team that sort of comes out and just plays cover one. They didn't do a ton of doubling last week against a guy like George Kittle. And not that George Kittle is – the tight end that Rob Gronkowski is, but you know, if they weren't going to double him, who has been Jimmy Garoppolo's biggest target in early going here of 2018, you know, then maybe they'll double Gronkowski a little bit, but with a weakened secondary already, you're talking about finding mismatches at other levels, whether it's, you know, a Dorsett or a Hogan on the outside or doing some stuff with the runner backs against, you know, guys like Gerard Davis, who is, you know, a young first rounder that they drafted last year. And he's a talented kid and he's fast and he can move, but he's still slow to diagnose. And so there might be some opportunities for the running backs in the passing game as well. Yeah, there's definitely a different quality of uh, defense that they're going to be facing on Sunday night. And then uh, the run game, they have started getting it going. Michelle had had some good runs, and uh, they look to keep that going against one of the worst defenses, run defenses in the league. They had 3.7 yards per attempt so far, which brings them into the mid-20s. So do you think that continues? They get a boost by playing uh, Detroit? Yeah, you know, Andy, I, I think this is a game where, you know, if you're a Patriots fan and you want to see this team sort of establish the run, you want to see this team have, you know, a little bit of a run identity to it, you know, this is going to be a game to watch because when you look at this defensive front with Ziggy Ansah expected to be out and he's not that great against the run anyway, their best premier type run defender guy is Ricky Jean-Francois. And that's a name the Patriots fans probably recognize. And he's on the Detroit Lions because the Patriots decided to move on from him. And so that should tell you kind of what this defensive front is going to look like. And if you sort of look back, 
you know, at their game last week against the 49ers. Obviously, Matt Breida had over 130 yards rushing. You look at his 66-yard touchdown run. It was just a simple zone play. And Ricky Jean-Francois at the point of attack. He can't get across the face of the right guard. Right guard is able to get out, make that reach block on him, which is a difficult block to execute because the play begins with Ricky Jean-Francois on the outside right shoulder of that right guard. And that right guard has to get across his face and execute that reach block. It's a tough block to make, but Ricky Jean-Francois is not quick enough in the hole and in the gap to get across the face of the right guard. That's where it starts. And the rest of the blocking just kind of flows from there. You get a good downfield block as well from Pierre Garçon. It's a 66-yard 66 yard touchdown run. This is a run defense that is going to give up big plays in the run game. This is a run defense that struggles in terms of run fits. We talked about Jared Davis. You know, he's an athletic player, but he's slow to read his keys and to diagnose and to react. And so you can do some stuff with misdirection. You can do some stuff with the zone running game, and he's going to be slow to fill his gap responsibilities. That's what leads to big plays. And so if New England wants wants to establish the run. This is the type of team to do it against. And I do expect them to come out to try to establish some presence on the ground, which will set up so much of what they do in the past game with play action. They love to work play action. And you don't have to be successful running the football to do it. But if you are successful, it certainly makes it easier to work those play action plays. Yeah. And they had their uh, second round pick, uh, Ashawn Robinson deactivated yeah. a healthy scratch. So, I mean, their things are not going well for him on that end. No, not at all. Not at all. And, you know, this is a team that is seemingly struggling, you know, to sort of start the Matt Patricia error. I mean, on my show this week, I talked to Matt Derry, the host of, the host of Locked on Lions. I talked to Jeff Risden, who covers the Lions for the Lions Wire, part of the USA Today family of sites. And, you know, both of them basically came out and said, look, you know, there is some unease already about Patricia. It does seem like you're not getting all that buy-in from a lot of the veterans. I know that there's some veterans were less than pleased when they decided to keep the team in San Francisco so they wouldn't get a bad night of sleep traveling back after that game but if you've got families and wives to get back to obviously that puts a little bit of stress that you don't really want especially after a loss and so you know this is a team that's struggling but you know so the flip side to that is sometimes when teams are in that 0-2 hole you know they're looking for a win obviously this is a the second national game national primetime game for them you know they don't want to get embarrassed on their home turf again to another AFC East opponent so you know I expected Detroit to put up a fight here but you know this is a team that's gotten off to a slow start and there's already some rumbling about Matt Patricia yeah that'll be interesting how that goes forward and then uh so I guess moving on to the defense with Matt Patricia himself so uh the Jacksonville Jaguars destroyed the Patriots with the crossers um they're uh their wide receivers were just running all over the middle of the field back and forth. And until the Patriots show that they can stop that, people are going to key in on that. Do you see Matt Patricia trying to attempt some of that with uh, Theo Riddick, with Golden Tate, with Kenny Galladay trying to run through and do crossing routes across the middle? And what yeah. do you uh, go ahead? Yeah, Andy, I definitely do. And that was one of the, you know, scarier things when I was sat down and, you know, studied and charted that. Detroit game against San Francisco it was the very first play of the game. You know, they hit a crossing route. You know, I believe it was to Galladay. You know, they had, you know, they rolled Ryan out off of play action, but they looked to hit that crosser coming from the backside. And, you know, it does seem in a sense that there's sort of a playbook in place or a game plan in place where 
defenses, I mean, excuse me, offenses can sort of dictate what they want to do to the New England Patriots defense and then go out and execute it. We saw it in the AFC Championship game last year. We certainly saw it in the Super Bowl. We saw it last week against Jacksonville when teams get New England into situations where they have to try and defend those crossing routes. Offenses can be successful. And, and the, there are a number of reasons why. I mean, you know, when you're trying to defend that crossing route, you go zone, you've got some gaps that are created. And teams have been able to sort of find those soft spots and those underneath zones. Receivers have been able to find grass. Quarterbacks have been able to find those receivers in those holes. And it's led to big plays. Well, if you go man, well, then it's a matter of do you have the athletes to run with those crossers? Because it's a tough route to defend. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you've got to read the sort of release off the line of scrimmage. If you don't get a jam on them, then you've got somebody running away from you and you got to chase them down from behind. And, you know, some defenders can do it better than others. And some of these guys that we're seeing on the other side of the ball are very athletic and teams have also been able to sort of dictate the terms of these matchups. We talk so much about the new England Patriots offense and Josh McDaniels and how good he is at designing plays to get the matchups that they want. And then, attacking those matchups in the past game, whether it's, you know, putting Gronkowski out wide or using motion and shifting to get a Rex Burkhead lined up on a rookie linebacker like they did last year against Miami for a touchdown pass. Other teams have started to do that to New England. And so you get situations like, you know, Dante Hightower having to cover a wide receiver on a shallow crossing route or, you know, a speedy Tyree Kill type guy working away from a Jonathan Jones. I mean, these are the matchups that teams are starting to dictate to New England and they don't seem to truly have an answer for them yet. You know, and part of it, I know we're going to talk about in the second starts with the pass rush, but at the second and third levels, this was the concern going into, say, the draft and the free agency period was, can we find athletes on the second level and in the secondary and at the safety spot to run with these crossers because they have just been used to dice New England up for the past season or so. And right now, doesn't seem like they found them. Maybe they put it together. Maybe it was just a bad performance. Maybe it had something to do with pass rush, as we're going to talk about, but they don't seem to have an answer for that yet. Yeah. And two, actually two of my points last, last week, they didn't have uh, JC Jackson active and right. with Keon Crossan being um, injured with the hamstring. And now they brought Cyrus Jones back. The, those are young legs that aren't getting playing time. And then you see Jason McCordy trailing when he got thrown into the game after Eric yeah. Rowe got benched. Then so that that's one of my solutions for them this week is to try to, instead of having the older guys, the more boundary guys, the ones that are physical mismatches, try to get those young legs in there and try to see if they can keep up with the crossing routes. Yeah, and, Andy, that's a, that's, that's a great point. And yeah, we, we do need to remember that this was a game played in Jacksonville when it was 93 degrees or whatever it was at game time. And it felt like 106 and, you know, there were people at that game that were in the stands, whether it's Patriots fans or, you know, the Jaguars fans. And I know they were talking about how the conditions were just brutal. I mean, it was one of those days where you walk outside and you immediately need to hit the shower again because you're just, it's that humid. It's that sticky. It's that sweaty. And so conditioning might've played a role. And we're obviously not going to go up against something like that, you know, when we're playing Detroit in the dome on, on Sunday night. And so that might have something to do with it too. I mean, you know, we can hope. Yeah. And they won't, they won't admit that though. Right. No, never. <laughs> and then uh, you you brought this up a number of times with uh, Jawan Bentley trying to do that A-gap blitz and not being able to get home. 
what now they can show that and then drop them into a zone in the center a shallow zone so that at the very least they're disrupting that speed of those wide receivers um, yeah i mean yeah. that's certainly something that they can do and you know we can start moving into the pass rush discussion here but yeah. you know that was one of the plays early in that jacksonville game that really sort of stuck in my mind because they had an early i think it was a third down situation where they sent bentley on a blitz they didn't block it he had a free shot of Bortles. Bortles just climbed up around him Bentley didn't even get a fingertip on him, was able to make a throw to convert a third down situation. And so, you know, if you've got free shots like that, you got to be able to hit the quarterback. But, you know, to, to the point that you were making, Andy, you know, now you're talking about Matthew Stafford. He's obviously a quarterback that has seen everything. So he can probably, you know, see and diagnose and make the adjustments and the protection calls up front when he sees that sort of you sugar the A gap where you show that blitz and then you drop off. You know, it's then a matter of do the do the guys up front hear it? Do the guys up front execute though? You're playing with a rookie left guard and Frank Ragnow. You know, Taylor Decker, he's been in the league for a couple of years, as with Graham Glassow. You know, you've got some inexperience on that offensive line. And so you can do some things up front. You can show some looks. You can show some stunts. You can sugar the A-gap. You can give them some exotic looks. And then just back off and even drop – you know, seven drop eight into coverage and try to take away those underneath throwing lanes and make Matthew Stafford have to beat you to the outside. It's sort of, you know, when you think about Rex Ryan and how he used to defend New England when he was with the Ravens, when he was with the Jets and the Bills, oftentimes what he would try to do was, you know, constrict the throwing lanes between the numbers, between the hash marks, where Brady likes to make so many throws and force you to become a boundary type thrower, force you to push the ball downfield or towards the sidelines, where maybe you don't have the receivers to make those kind of plays. Maybe you don't have the quarterback who can challenge those types of throwing windows downfield, or it's not where he's most comfortable. You can do that. You can try that with Matthew Stafford. But the problem is, Stafford's, let's face it, you know, we're all Patriots fans here, but Matthew Stafford has an elite arm. You know, Matthew Stafford can make some ridiculous throws. And so he might be a guy that's more willing to challenge those windows downfield. So then it becomes, okay, if you've taken away these crossers, maybe you've played into what Detroit does best, which is the stuff downfield into the boundary. Good good points. Definitely good points on that. And so uh, we can uh, move on to the pressure situation. Is this the week that we see Derek Rivers unleashed? I, I hope so, Andy. I really do. And part of that might be because of necessity. I mean, look, we're looking at, you know, Dietrich Wise is back at practice. And, you know, so it seems like he's going to be a go. I don't see any sort of reason why he won't. Um, but he's going to be sort of limited in what he can do with his hands, you know, because you're playing with that, you know, it looks like he's going to have some sort of glove or some sort of padding on his left hand, you know, where he suffered the dislocation. So that's one issue. And, you know, Trey Flowers is out. You know, it doesn't seem like he's going to be a go. He's listed as doubtful, um, still in sort of the concussion protocol, which is probably not a good sign, you know, recording this on Friday night. And so this might be a situation where you're going to need Derek Rivers to hopefully step up or Keontae Davis to step up because, you know, you do need to get pressure on the opposing quarterback. And, you know, this is – I was kind of hinting at this, Andy, when we were talking about the, the discussion with the crossing routes. I, I do feel at some sense that, a lot of New England's problems, whether it's this year or last year on the defensive side of the ball, begin with a failure of personnel up front in the pass rush situations. And this is something you know I've, I've been talking about a lot, and we've been talking about in the Locked on Pat Slack channel, where 
if they can't get pressure with four, then you're forced to blitz. And when you have to blitz, chances are you're going to have to go man behind it, although you can do some fire zone blitz type stuff. But you know, chances are you're going man behind it. And let me get you into those situations where you're asking these guys like Jonathan Jones or you know Jason McCourty to cover these shallow crossing routes. And if you give up separation, if you give up a step, you might get beat. And so until they start being able to consistently get pressure with four, I wonder if we're just going to keep seeing these problems and keep seeing these crossing routes just gash New England's defense. And so hopefully, look, they get Rivers in. You know, hopefully he does what we hope he can do. You know, maybe Davis, maybe Wise still works out. Who knows? Maybe Trey Flowers can still go. But they need to start getting pressure with four. I really think that could be the cure-all on the defensive side of the ball. And then uh, this week it looks like that – we don't have to face a uh, mobile quarterback, at least as more as more mobile as we've seen the first couple of weeks. So uh, maybe Claiborne can be a little less disciplined in his rush lanes yeah. and, not, and not worry about yeah. opening it up. I mean, the, th- the thing to remember with Stafford is that, you know, he's not mobile. I mean, nobody would look at him and say, look, he's a Deshaun Watson. You know, he's a Patrick Mahomes or a guy that's going to run around back there. You know, but Stafford is sort of that sneaky play strength type of quarterback where if you get a shot at him, you got to hit him and you got to get him down. Because he can wiggle out of, you know, pressure. He can wiggle out of sacks, you know. And then when you combine that with his ability to make some sort of insane throws off platform, you know, it can be a problem. There was one play against San Francisco where it looked like he was going to be sacked. You know, a receiver ran a simple out route. It was a man coverage situation. It looked like he was going down. The cornerback got caught peeking his eyes into the backfield for a second. Receiver then broke vertically. Stafford rolled away, wiggled himself out of that pressure, and then spotted the receiver on the opposite sideline and made one of these, you know, across the field throws from the right numbers to the left sideline. They probably went for, you know, 35 or 30 yards, you know, just on pure line of scrimmage to spot where he threw it, but where it was coming from the right numbers to the left sideline is probably more like a 50 yard throw. And he can do stuff like that on the drop of a hat. And so, you know, with Stafford, you've got to get him to the ground. If you're one of the guys rushing him, if you're in the secondary, you've got to cover until the whistle, you can't give up. You can't assume that, Oh, he's not going to make this throw or he can't make this throw because he's a guy that can make that throw, that throw that you think, no, there's no way he could reach us from here. He can't. You know, he can. It's kind of, you know, Indiana Jones and I think it was the last crusade when they, they're overlooking all the German tanks as they're headed towards, you know, the, the Holy Grail and Indy turns to his dad. He's like, oh, we're well out of their range. And then they blow up the car that's like 15 feet behind them. It's that kind of situation with Matthew Stafford in his arm. Yes, definitely. And uh, who whose name on the Detroit Lions that we're going to be hearing making plays? I mean, for for them from the offensive side of the ball, I mean, you've got to worry about the three wide receivers. I mean, the run game is a question mark. Carry on Johnson, the, the rookie from Auburn. I mean, he can do some stuff in the zone. He's a zone style runner that's probably getting miscast and what Detroit does best because they're probably best in the power and gap blocking scheme. Um, we know LeGarrette Blount. Um, you know, the tight end spots a bit of a black hole for them. They've got two guys that are basically 
blocking tight ends and Levy and Toyolo and Luke Wilson. I know they got this kid, Michael Roberts from Toledo, um, who kind of jumped out when I was watching him and, and studying um, Logan Woodside. You know, he caught a touchdown pass for them last week, but, you know, he's not somebody that you're going to worry about too much in the past game. I mean, so the production really comes from the, the three wide receivers, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, and Kenny Galladay. And, you know, Golden Tate, shifty type guy. They'd like to do some stuff with him in the screen game. They'd like to do some stuff with him sort of in the quick passing game. You know, Marvin Jones, you know, he's one of those guys that can give you one big game a year. I mean, that's usually what he's good for. He'll have one game where he'll go off for about 230 yards receiving, but then he'll be kind of MIA and give you like six for 52 um, the rest of the way in each game. And so, you know, those are the top two wide receivers. But Kenny Galladay is a, a player that, you know, if you follow fantasy football in the fantasy community, they love this kid. In the fantasy football world does you know a third round pick out of northern illinois you know six four you know probably good size good speed on him um he's starting to become more of a focal point in their passing game you know they've kind of sort of you know when you look at this detroit roster they've sort of moved a guy you know like like TJ Jones, Brandon Powell, they've kind of moved away from them a bit. And it's really Galladay as their number three receiver. They do a lot with him. Um, so he's a name to definitely watch. And they'd like to operate all three guys on the boundaries, all three guys in the slot. They move them around. And so, you know, all three corners are going to have to be ready. Yep, definitely. And uh, so what do we get to see from Josh Gordon this week? You know, with, with <laughs> Gordon, I mean – I, I do want to sort of, and I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic here, but I think it's important to remember with Gordon, just generally speaking, that it's 2018 and everybody's hopeful we're going to get 2013 Josh Gordon, but I don't think he's that player anymore. And I, I mentioned talking with Jeff Risden this week on Locked on Patriots, um, who covers the Lions, um, and he basically brought up the fact that, look, this is a guy that's body has changed. He's a much bigger, much bulkier, much more muscular wide receiver than he was back in 2013. And so some of that quickness, some of that speed, some of that burst might not be what it was back then. And so he might be a different receiver. So that's sort of cautionary tale number one. And cautionary tale number two is this. And I'm not even going to touch the off the field stuff. I'm going to keep it on the field here. Even though there is some experience in sort of an Ernst Perkins type system a little bit, um, the terminology is still very much different in New England's than other you know offensive systems, and so there is going to be a learning curve just on the terminology, and then on the fact where so many of New England's route designs and route concepts have conversions that are built into them based on reading the coverage. It's a situation where you have to make the right decision, and you have to be on the right decision in the same page as Tom Brady, because if you read a coverage and you read it as cover two and convert it, but Brady reads it as cover four or cover one, and he's expecting you to run a different route, that's going to be a problem. And so because of that, there might also be a learning curve. And so I anticipate them using him for 10, 15 plays, maybe um, running some vertical stuff, doing some stuff on the boundary. Maybe they try to get him involved in, you know, a, a sweep or a couple of quick smoke screens to just get him involved and, you know, give him some touches. But, you know, I wouldn't expect to see him out there for, you know, 35, 40, 45 offensive snaps or anything like that, at least not here in his first week. 
Yeah, no, I'm expecting something more along the lines first couple of games that we had Michael Floyd last year. Yeah, it, yeah, I think that's they, right. Yeah, how they had just um, some design plays that were very simple for him. And I'm sure that they have less reading that he has to do yeah, for, those, no. for those packages. So that's yeah, what I'm I think that's right. <laughs> and then, uh, so I guess uh, catch everybody up on injury notes and what that means. Um, you touched a little bit on the Detroit Lions inactives and the hopeful, the um, possible inactives. So um, Patriots Hollister came down as being out with a chest injury. We're still doubtful with Chung and Flowers. And then Gronk popped up on the injury list with an ankle. And then Cannon's still on there with Cap. Uh, yeah, um, it, it looks like Gronk's a go. Um, he was, you know, the Patriots just released their final injury report and he wasn't even on it. Um, so it looks like he's going to be a go. Um, Hollister, as you said, was out with a chest. I don't know when that happened. Uh, he hasn't participated all week. So he's out. Chun Flowers was still listed today as doubtful, um, did not participate. So that's not a good sign. You do wonder if they'll even make the trip. Um, Marcus Cannon with a calf, Keon Crossan with a hamstring, Nate Ebner with a hip, Josh Gordon with a hamstring, which is interesting, and Eric Rowe with a groin all listed as questionable um obviously gordon the hamstring is probably still related to the that injury he suffered when he was shooting that promotional video um so you do wonder about that um for detroit there's got offensive lineman andrew donald who's already listed as out and then you've got ezekiel ansaw with a shoulder eli harold with a hip marvin jones with an ankle tj lane with a back michael roberts with a knee and darius slay with a concussion all those players listed as questionable um slay is a big one to watch because he's their most talented defensive back ansaw he's a defensive end the edge rusher type he's somebody to watch tj lane is a guard one of their starters that's a name to watch and uh marvin jones too with an ankle and even if Jones goes, you know, a, a shifty change of direction type receiver like him, you know, that could limit him somewhat. Yeah. And uh, with Slay and Ansa, they're probably some of the thinnest position groups that they have on that yeah. team. So if they can't go, it's just going to be, there's going to be a lot, a large loss of talent on those groups. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's a certainly a, a trickle down type situation because then you're talking about, look, you know, we talked about a little bit on, on in the secondary side. You talked about guys like Jalen Tabor and Jamal Agnew having to go. And you look at that defensive front. I mean, yeah, they drafted Deshaun Hand in the fourth round. Um, so they, maybe a rookie, Ashawn Robinson, who like you, we already talked about him, some of the guys up front, they're thin up front to begin with. And so you take Ansel away from that you know, you're talking about the ability to sort of, you know, be comfortable and calm in the pocket if you're Tom Brady, you know, to find those run lanes and you know, exploit the fact that these guys don't execute their run fits as well as they should when they're facing the run. You know, th this is a game that New England could win comfortably. Now, we've seen situations where the Patriots are in those situations and don't win those games comfortably and, you know, don't have the type of performance that we expect. But I, I do think that there is something sort of remember it's that you know brady according to everything we've been hearing about the patriots this week brady has been upset not because of any sort of soap opera or anything like that he's been upset from an execution standpoint i mean there was uh, i'm looking for who put it out there right now but uh, it was one of the patriots beat writers michael giardi uh several patriots players told me tom brady was quote in a mood and quote irritated this week he was displeased with the overall execution sunday and wants to make sure that doesn't carry over to detroit 
Sunday night. That's given me 2014 vibes. That's given me post-Kansas City meltdown. We're on to Cincinnati-type vibes, Andy. And so this might be one of those games where – you know, you remember that on to Cincinnati game that was the Bengals coming in. They had won their first two games. They were looking good. People were wondering, is it over? And they just came out and blew Cincinnati off the field on a Sunday night in front of a national audience. This might be a similar type of week where Brady just, no, we're not going to lose this one. No way, no how. That'll make Pats fans very happy. Reminds me of the Letterman game, too, with Texas. Yeah, yeah. You know, showing up in the – although I don't think Patricia's going to let his players have Letterman jackets after an 0-2 start. <laughs> no, definitely not. All right, then. If you got time for one more thing in honor of you, do you want to do a good, bad, and ugly of AFC East opponents? Yeah, we could do that so far. And, you know, if you look at the AFC East so far, I think we'll give the good to Miami. You know, this is a team that I think is starting to figure out their offense. I think, you know, they had Jarvis Landry last year. They tried to make him more of a West Coast air raid type receiver, which I think was a miscast type situation for him. Obviously, they didn't have Ryan Tannehill. I think they've looked better so far. They've been decent on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, part of that is the fact, look, last week they're playing Sam Darnold. And, you know, Darnold, while he's been okay, we'll talk about him in a bit, you know, He's still learning. He's still making mistakes. He's still, you know, reading things wrong at times. He's still making the wrong throws and wrong decisions at times. And so, you know, that was part of it. And then, you know, in week one, Miami gets a chance. You know, they – I'm trying to say, yeah, they get the Titans in a game that was freakishly delayed a couple of times. Number of injuries. Marcus Mariota had to leave. The plan playing Gabbert. Mariota throws two picks. I mean, so they haven't really been tested yet. And they probably won't get tested this week because they're hosting Oakland. And so we'll really see what they're made of, you know, a week from now when, you know, the they come to town and play the Patriots in the Foxborough. And so you're good right now, I has I think has to be Miami. You're bad. We'll give it to the Jets. Obviously, they beat these Detroit Lions on open a night. Yeah, Monday night game. Um, but then they sort of come back and they lay an egg against you know, the Dolphins, they lose that game. They lose to the Browns for the first time. The Browns have won a game in like 635 days. I mean, so that's not that great. Um, you know, I, I think all things being equal, the Browns were the better team last night. Um, so we'll say the bad, New York Jets. And then process of elimination, the ugly. I mean, the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that roster is barren right now at a number of key positions. You look at offensive line, I mean – Deion Dawkins shouldn't be a starter and left tackle in the National Football League. He's a starter and left tackle for them. Charles Clay's best years are behind him. Their receivers, Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones, Andre Holmes. I mean, these aren't number one type guys in the league. We have the whole LaShawn McCoy situation that's playing out right now, and that seems to be sort of spinning away from him and getting to be pretty ugly. Josh Allen is by all means, by all, you know, whatever you want to say about him, a talented quarterback, but he's probably shouldn't be playing this early in his career. And he probably shouldn't be playing behind this offensive line and with this lack of talent around him. And then on the defensive side of the ball, it's a solid defense, but they're getting put into some bad situations because of turnovers and short fields, you know, more so with Peterman than with Allen last week. But, you know, there's some inexperience with Tremaine Edmonds, their rookie middle linebacker, a very young kid. I think he's still 20. Um, Similar to Gerard Davis, very athletic, very fast, but he's young and dumb. 
and you can get them out of position. And so the Bills are going to struggle this year. They're suffering the sort of rebuild type of year I think they were expecting last year. They just sort of lucked into a playoff spot, basically. And now it's now they're sort of having to pay the piper for what they lucked into last year, which is a rebuild. It's going to be a tough year for them. I don't know if they win more than two or three games. I really don't. Um, I expect Josh Allen to have some serious struggles and some serious bumps along the way. They'll be good eventually, um, but it might not be for two, three, four, five type years. There you have it, folks. Straight from Mark Schofield's mouth on the good, bad, and the ugly for AFC East. Quick prediction time. Yeah, um, I will go 34-28. I, I think you know it's going to be one of those type of Patriots games where it'll still end up being a one-score game. It won't really feel that close. There'll probably be you know a silly touchdown late, and so Detroit maybe covers the spread, which I think last I checked is six and a half. Um, you know, that's what I'm expecting right now. It would not surprise me, Andy, to see New England come out and just sort of take control of this game early, and it's not even cl- as close as I think. Um, but right now I'll go 34-28. Yeah, I think I'm leaning more toward 35-21 just to give them a little bit more of a cushion. I would like that. I, you know <laughs> what? I would like a game where I can start relaxing you know, midway, even early third quarter. I would like that kind of game because past couple of weeks, it's been a little bit, no, even that Houston game, it was a game where you were like, suddenly this is a one-score game, my friends, and I was not expecting this given the way this game started. So I'd like to sort of relax for a little bit. But There you go. Just focus on whether they're looking good and honing their skills. Exactly. Exactly, (laughs) my friend. Excellent. Okay. So if if that's it for you, we'll go ahead and uh, sign off and – Let everybody get out of here and have an adult beverage. Sounds good to me, my friend. All right, great. And so Boston Sports Extra fans, thank you for listening to us. And that was Mark Schofield of Locked On Patriots podcast and a host of other writing sites where you can find all of his excellent work for schemes and quarterback play. And then my name is Andrew Likens, and I'm a writer for Boston Sports Extra. And you can find me on Twitter at alikens 32 And you can find this podcast and all of our excellent podcasts for the various Boston sports on Stitcher, Audio Boom, and every one of those podcast catching sites that you can get. So thank you and have a good night and go Pats.